Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. So clever story. I am looking timer. at the face of a man <laughs> unfazed by spicy jelly beans, even of the Jelly Belly uh, prodigious brand. Um, I ate one of those at uh, you guys' combined birthday party, and yes, it hurt. It hurt like hell. I must just be a little weenie baby white boy because that hurt like fucking shit for like thirty minutes. My <laughs> mouth was on fire, and I wasn't even the hottest one. It was just like one of the low grade heaters. Uh, that was a very cherry, Jason. We didn't. We didn't mean to. <laughs> we were going to tell you, but that was yeah. It was a raspberry flavored jelly bean. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much, uh, folks, for listening to Try Love. It is a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at or through the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilon Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org, where you can get tickets and find out about showings and other cool things happening at the Trilon, like what we're going to talk about today. Uh, je m'appelle Jason Daphnis, et vous pouvez me trouver sur Twitter à Nintendoofus. This movie is about the life and times of an athlete named Madame Souza. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm Harry Mackin, and I declare that by the end of the summer, my legs will look exactly like the champion's legs. I'm <laughs> drawing a line in the sand right now. It's going to happen. Uh, you can follow my fitness journey, I guess, on Twitter at Chicago Harry. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> My name's Aaron. Uh, there are three spoken lines in this movie, so I just didn't get a quote. I think this one's a kind of gimme in that regard. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at RB, please. Uh, and joining us to talk a little about today's movie and even a bit more is returning guest and representative of the Cult Film Collective, Sarah Huskin. Thank you very much, Sarah, for joining us. Uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, my name is Sarah Huskin. I'm a storyboard artist here in Minneapolis and, of course, a mega trial-on stand. I'm one-fourth of the Cult Film Collective, and yeah, I love animation. I love this film, and I'm happy to be here. We're glad to have you. Uh, and so that we don't let this one scoot under the rug while we're talking about the movie, uh, we did want to highlight a little bit of what this Cult Film Collective is doing right now. There's a lot of cool new stuff that we learned about at the 16mm um, sci-fi dystopia showing uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we knew that we wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about that. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit about what's going on? Yeah, uh, so the Cult Film Collective over the pandemic, or rather um, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, we were uh, feeling a little, you know, like, what can we do to bring movies to people who are not going to the movies? And of course, people are back in theaters, but uh, we decided to go ahead and launch a membership program, which includes a video rental library that's curated and yeah, uh, secret screenings and events. And that's kind of the gist of it. Um, we're in the early stages of um, you know, our soft launch. But yeah, it's um, kind of a cool project. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm selling it. But uh, yeah, we're 
of just sort of figuring out what's working. We're ironing out all of the wrinkles right now, but yeah, it seems to be um, working. We have 20 members so far and awesome. Yeah, we're hoping it'll keep on growing. No, we're really excited about it too. What is your role in that whole endeavor? Was it just coming up with the ideas? Are you in a bunch of spreadsheets? What does that look like? Yeah, so I'm kind of the video library wrangler. Um, I formed a couple of connections with other video rental stores in the United States, uh, primarily Beyond Video in Baltimore and Videodrome in Atlanta. And they gave a lot of um, advice, friendly advice and um you know, resources, uh, the infrastructure we use to um, you know, uh, coordinate our rentals is actually the same infrastructure that Beyond uses. And uh, yeah, uh, I kind of led the charge on that. It began with a, you know, we're sitting around drinking beers in John's yard and someone may have said like, hey, what about this like video rental thing? Like, there are these pop-ups happening here and there, really cashing in on the nostalgia of Blockbuster and like the mom and pop. And we thought, hmm, could we do that? Like, what if we did that? Only if it was only curated and drawing from our specific cinema interests. So me being animation, John being um, 70s noir and so on. And that kept on getting brought up and eventually... Here we are, um, actually, actually coordinating a virtual video rental thing, and yeah, perfect. The uh, the the Brain Trust of Minneapolis, I'm sure, is just located directly in John's backyard. He invited us to screen some movies at his house the other day, and my heart melt like my knees went out from underneath me. It's like local celebrity. I don't know. It, I'm sure it doesn't feel like that for you anymore. But uh, every time we talk to John, I just starstruck. Um, but uh, I should ask. One, I have one, uh, two questions, one of which is like, what is right now the holy grail of what you would like to see at the in the video library from the trial on? Oh, well, <laughs> because uh, animation is really my whole shtick, um, we're trying to get um, like the complete Evangelion in there. That's Whoa. been my like ongoing project. And I'm I may be able to help you with that. Hmm? <laughs> Oh, I said I may be able to help you with that. I might have uh, access to the Platinum Collection. Uh, it's it's on my shelf right now, so I'll I'll hit you up. Excellent. Well, hey, we have just found the Holy Grail. This is history <laughs> in the making, right? We're here. all about connections here at Trilove. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and my other question is, where can people find out more about this? How can they sign up? What's the what's the deets? What's the CTA here? Yeah, so you can visit our website at cultfilmcollective.com. Uh, we have uh, information about signing up or just general information about um, the events that we have, um, you know, upcoming and so on. And yeah, uh, we are capping membership at 20 because we are in the beta stages, but uh, you can sign up for our newsletter. You can... Um, like submit a request to become a member if the membership mm. thing is, you know, what you want. And as soon as we expand, which we will be in a couple of months, um, yeah, you can sign right up. Cool. Look forward to it. And uh, hey, listeners, look forward to seeing us at more of those things. Uh, you've heard us talk about a few of these fun, cool showings that go on just for members at the Trilon, and uh, we hope to see you there. But uh, thank you so much, Sarah, for that about CFC, etc. Um, Aaron has to take it away to actually talk about the movie, which I'm surprised we have not been like, 
usually I try to avoid saying the name of the movie to let Aaron really be like the voice of it. I did not, oh, yeah. I did not know how we avoided talking about like the name of this movie before right now, but right now is when Aaron gives his summary of the film. Yes, we are talking about the 2003 animated film, The Triplets of Belleville, uh, directed by Sylvain Chauvet. Uh, the film follows Madame Souza, a French grandmother uh, who lives with her orphaned grandson, Champion, uh, and their dog, Bruno. Champion, uh, obsessed with cycling from a young age, eventually enters the Tour de France, um, but uh, is unable to finish uh, and is eventually kind of kidnapped by a pair of weirdly blocky mobsters who promptly put him on a boat and ship him off to this film's kind of weird French version of New York City called Belleville. Uh, Souza follows behind on a paddle boat aided by Bruno tracking Champion's scent. Um, and when she arrives penniless uh, in Belleville, she is taken in by a trio of sisters, uh, the titular triplets of Belleville, uh, who were once famous kind of vaudeville performers and who helped Souza track down and then rescue Champion. Um, the film is notable for a few reasons, apart from just kind of generally being quite good and also playing at the Trilon. Um, first, the film is uh, uh, largely uh, kind of an homage to uh, the work of, of previously discussed Jacques Tati, uh, specifically his film, uh, Jour de Fête. Um, but uh, uh, Mr. Uh, 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 oh, no, no, no. I'm blanking on it. forgotten the character's name? Oh, my goodness. Are you Mr. serious? Uh, Monsieur Hulot's Vacation. There you uh, go. It's also shown very briefly in a poster uh, in here. Uh, the second of all, it, at least uh, us big American dummies, uh, the film was uh, nominated for two Academy Awards and kind of uh, gained some recognition. Uh, it, was a, it was kind of a, a co-production, not just... A, in France, but also in America and a, a few other countries. Uh, but it did kind of uh, cross the pond, you might say, a little bit. Um, it was nominated for uh, Best Animated Film and uh, uh, also for Best Original Song. Uh, it lost both. I think kind of uh, uh, the former lost to Finding Nemo, uh, which I guess makes sense. Um, uh, maybe not quality-wise, but it's Finding Nemo. <laughs> uh, and yes, you don't, you, is, don't need to, you don't need to defend Disney on this I like podcast, Finding Nemo, brother. but, you know, yeah. Uh, that was always going to happen, and that has continued happening since then. Um, yeah, that's the triplets of Belleville. Uh, Sarah, uh, I guess if you don't mind me asking, you appear to, I think, like the film quite a bit. Um, with your background, just with you've seen it a bunch, seen it a bunch. I guess what are what are your thoughts this go around? Yeah. So typically, when we, by we, I, I mean uh, me. Typically, when I um, interact with people talking about animation, the conversation usually uh, revolves around Hollywood animation or American animation and uh, Japanese animation or anime. And what is so um, valuable about Triplets of Belleville is it is neither. It is neither anime nor Hollywood animation, though it has the Fleischer style opening at the beginning, which um, is heavily inspired by early American animation. And it definitely has some elements of 60s era Disney, primarily 101 Dalmatians, which the movie 1 billion percent draws um, sort of aesthetic um, inspiration from. But yeah, the it has to be said that this movie is a technical wonder. Mm. The the character design, the the color, the, the background design, everything is just so technically rich. And watching the film over and over and over again, there are always these little details, these little hatching, like hatch marks and um, 
coloring decisions and character timing and frame rate things that are always just so delicious for me to uh, discover. So yeah, Triplets of Belleville is amazing. <laughs> it's, uh, you, you kind of nailed it there. I, uh, at the risk of going on rambling too long about this, I saw this movie when it first came out. Uh, I saw it on, I think, DVD uh, in my basement. Um, and I guess I, I mean, I saw Finding Nemo uh, in theaters like probably six times at that point just because I was a, a kid back then. Um, and I, I very much maybe unconsciously compartmentalized pretty much animated film, every animated film that I saw as like, this is like a Disney or like a Pixar, even before they were bought by Disney. This is one of those productions or this is one of the anime films or like TV shows, usually Studio Ghibli, but every once in a while not that we would rent from like Blockbuster or whatever the weird St. Cloud equivalent of a Blockbuster was. And like, I just kind of unconsciously put everything into those two buckets. And then uh, I saw this, I think probably because I, I saw like the Ebert review in like the newspaper or something. Um, and I like got it from the movie store. Uh, and I really think that this was like for a young Aaron, uh, maybe again, like unconsciously, like very influential on like me realizing that like ev everything that is animated does not have to fit within the boundaries of what other, whatever animation style this is, right? Characters can be very funny and beautiful, but also grotesque at the same time, right? Body parts can be super exaggerated to like this comical effect. Uh, things can be like disgusting, but also kind of horny at the same time. Like all these like feelings that I didn't like probably have words for, but like started to like drive their way into my head. And like, yeah, I, th this is the second time that I saw it uh, for, for this recording, but like it, it kind of all came flooding back in this very, very weird way. I'm happy for you. And I don't have a real point, but that was what 2003 or four. Were you 2009? You were 10 years Ten. old reading Roger Ebert? Uh, I, are you? My, my, you know, I would read, I wouldn't like read the newspaper, but my parents would like show me, I remember the same thing for spirited away. I would like read it in like the dentist's office when I was just like sitting, waiting there, the spirited mm -hmm. away, the same thing. I remember my, my dad was like, we were waiting in the dentist's office and he was like, Hey, the, the, there was a review for, cause I was a big fan of princess Mononoke. And he was like, Hey, there's a review. And I remember reading like, Oh, there's, there's a frog man in this movie and there's all this stuff. And I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the fucking internet, like, it wasn't like I was going to the internet to read movie reviews. It was in the newspaper. The way, that was... you, the way that you phrased it was like, I probably saw the Ebert review, which is not something that I, I even said before I turned 25, let alone when I was 9, 10 years old. I did not have cable television, so like any sort of review that wasn't in the newspaper, I just wasn't seeing, I guess. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, and I... I definitely have to mirror what you said like triplets of belleville is certainly a very formative fil film for me maybe not in terms of like i saw it and i knew i had to work in animation one day but i saw it when i started to develop my personal taste and interest in cinema and um, at the time i was watching a lot of animation across the board um, i was watching course triplets of belleville i was getting into european animation i think um a fantastic planet and um galahar or gandahar i can't remember which of the two it was i think re-released as light years here in the united states but i was really digging that stuff and then of course i was going all in on anime because i was in high school and uh 
you know, <laughs> Naruto was my identity at the time. But um, the combination of watching animation from across the globe and developing a cinematic interest inevitably resulted in me working in animation. Um, I, I just have to mention it. It's such a powerfully vivid film and affecting film for me. It, it, I, it's, it's very hard to like kind of put this down into words, but there is, there's something very, it is like so referential to like different movies and, and forms of animation and whatnot in like form of like, you know, stage theater and things of that nature. But it is at the same time, just like, it, it's not boundary breaking, but it's like just pushing those boundaries a little bit. Like I, I saw this movie and I was like, this is obviously an animated film. Uh, these are not all for kids because I was, I think I'd probably seen like Grave of the Fireflies at that point, but like they're generally for kids. And then boom, all of a sudden, oh, there's, there's a, there's a boob. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a cyclist getting just executed point blank uh, because he, he, you know, fell from exhaustion. Um, there's like all this like little stuff that was like, I, I just like, didn't like, of course you can do that, but I just like, didn't, I didn't think that people would do that for some weird reason. And I, I think it took like this film to like really like shock the senses. And I think the other part of that is a, a lot of, I think the like forms of like distribution for animation at that time were it's on television. So there are certain forms, you know, there's certain censorship that things need to adhere to when they go through television. Or it was like, for me, it was like, uh, uh, like Sunday, like comic strips. And those are like, even more just like absolutely for kids, three panels, super shut down. Maybe there's some sort of joke for adult and like the, the Calvin and Hobbes kind of Sunday strip, but like every other form of animation felt so like locked down and that this did not feel locked down kind of in the way that like people who talk about, you know, accidentally renting some like weirdly porny, like anime film at a very young age and it, like absolutely shocking you. Like this was like kind of that for me in a weird way. Yeah, well, and and this is my first time seeing this movie, so I can't really speak to that nostalgia. Um, I but it's it was really easy for me to see what a touchstone this was in the sense that without even really understanding or having reference to point back to, I understood how much this influenced, like how many animations that I saw, and and even like animations before this that sort of fit into this almost like this third movement of animation and the thing about it that really excited me is very similar to what you said about anime but not quite the same Aaron in the sense that like there's something about like for me it was always with anime emotion where like the bigness and the melodrama of anime it still works on me in a way that it felt like when I was a kid and I had sort of like a higher capacity to feel that way and similarly to that I think it's just because of the sort of um the disruption of expectation or the mindset that cartoons put you in. But cartoons like this that are always sort of like actively working against your expectations for what a cartoon has to be um, by, by being a little bit more grotesque or by being a little bit more adult. I'm thinking of like a, a related cartoon from my point of view would be like Watership Down, right? Where like that traumatized everybody. And like, I think a big part of that trauma was because that's not what you expect from a cartoon. So you like bring an emotion into the cartoon that ends up coloring your experience so much more than it would be otherwise. And 
I, I'm not traumatized by this movie, but like the the grotesquerie of this movie, the caricature of this movie, which Charlie pointed out, uh, caricature is literally a French art form. So like that's in it's in conversation with that entire art form. It really does like it opens up your understanding about not only what animation is, but it sort of like reframes and recontextualizes a lot of your perception about like your body or sort of like about like like. It, you know, like like how you perceive and think about people, um, because like the the characters in this movie are so grotesque, uh, not in a pejorative way, but just in like the literal definitional term, um, and the way that their bodies move and the way that they look and behave is so exaggerated that you can see sort of like how he's using the animation to sort of like make these these statements about sort of like exaggerations of human form that sort of get you to think about um how your own form is sort of like not comical necessarily but how it is sort of like in tension with the things around it in in that way it's very similar to the hulo movies in some ways right which is where a lot of that comes from but um so aaron like to your point i think that like this is definitely the sort of thing where like I don't like it or dislike it. Like it does open you up, right? Like you are thinking about animation and about sort of like movement in a really like particular way post this movie. Um, and I really enjoy that about this. Uh, I do as well. And I guess this is me sort of awkwardly sharing my limited experience with this movie while also kind of touching on um, the great points that y'all have brought up up to now. Um, I have wanted to watch this movie for a long time. I finally did last night. Um, I was unable to make the um, the 35 millimeter showing, which uh, I'm going to kick myself for, for forever. Um, but I tried to like back in the days of, of me living back home with my parents, um, like high school days, I definitely ripped this movie from like uh, a DVD that the library had and tried to get a group of friends to watch just, you know, like a vegging out kind of night. And it was a tough sell for, you know, like, it's a French movie, but also like it's largely without dialogue and it ended up well, like we stopped it, you know, like 10 minutes in, it was just not the vibe that people were going for, which, um, and I've been trying to, I, I mean, not that I, there's been a lot of time and I've watched a lot of movies since then. I was kind of waiting for the right opportunity. This, I mean, talking about it with y'all is as good of an opportunity uh, as any. And I had seen, um, Chimay's The Illusionist uh, a couple years ago, um, and I feel like I maybe poked and prodded at that a little bit during our Tati slate. That is an entirely different conversation, um, but I, I've thought about The Illusionist a lot since watching it, and I guess to like, you know, the the fact that um, Triplets of Belleville, yes, it is like an extremely um, like a marvelous technical achievement. Um, the the grotesqueness of the the characters, the sort of exaggerated. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm not an artist. I'm doing <laughs> with what I can. But just the the sort of like all all the things that we've been sort of kicking around. Uh, all I can really say to further that at this point um, is just that like the movie feels very. Um, conscious about that and sort of like accepting and, and openly like this is this movie's role in this sort of pantheon. And I, I got thinking about the, the climax of the movie, um, which w was extremely delightful because it feels like it's playing with, within all of the, like the limitations of its form while also exploring, you know, we're in an animated world. We made these big blocky henchmen and while imposing these cars are just like, these cars are <laughs> getting usurped and tipped over just because these people themselves are so blocky, just like little things like that, that are just, you know, it's, it's, it's fun and satisfying without necessarily, you know, seeing um, Madame Souza blow somebody's head off with, you know, a, a hand cannon or something like that. It's just like, 
she stands her ground and then the car tips over on its own weight because of goofy animated world logic. That's awesome. It's so much fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, so that's just, again, me trying to, to for that, we're all sort of, you know, praising this movie in, in our own ways. And I, I think um, it's nice to see Thema- like narratively and thematically um you know these characters embracing their own bonds their own journey while the movie is also itself like being very consciously aware of um its form and you know what this is this is our take on this this is us taking in all these sorts of influences uh from works that have come before us and this is sort of our our spin on them and in that way as we've all said it feels very formative and influential in its own right yeah, and just adding on to like the history of our like encountering of this film, the thing that made me want to watch it was the song. I can't remember how or where I saw the trailer. I think it was on TV, probably around the Oscars when, you know, it's like, oh, this is nominated for some Oscars, go see this movie now. But that song is amazing. It is probably one of the catchiest, most <laughs> like singable, hummable, uh, like jazzy original movie songs ever. It is like incredibly underrated. And I think it, well, not underrated because it was uh, nominated for an Oscar, but in terms of like it as a draw for this movie, it opens and closes the film. You know, we begin with that song and then it plays over the credits. So, yeah, simple song, Mm -hmm. jazzy and catchy and amazing. Yeah. And the thing about that song is to me, and it sort of sings with what we've been saying about the movie is that it combines many different styles in itself. It like it feels roughly like a, you know, sort of like. Uh, in a in a cabaret in Paris type song, but I, I'm pretty sure the language they're using sort of flips around during like they use some French phrasing, they use some English phrasing. Um, a lot of the instrumentation sounds like, uh, you know, New Orleans third line jazz, some of that, like they end up going into this uh, very, I think there's at one point, there's a like a very percussive section of it where they're just like stomps and claps and such. The The, the fact that it doesn't stick to one, uh, you know, prescriptive style is like, oh, well, they're doing this across form as well like yeah they're doing that in the animation where sometimes it's way more grotesque sometimes it's more expressive than descriptive um they're doing that in a lot of the voice acting such as there is that's just a lot of like kind of grunts insinuations and humps and i really like i liked that that was way more effective than if they had like described anything that was going on honestly um and through the music as well like incidentally in the score i'm sure that it was doing the same thing but it seemed to fit a lot more where this main song and i'm forgetting the actual title of this is it just triplets of belleville whatever the song that they sing at the, at the top is called um is like we are Belleville melding rendezvous yeah it's the Belleville thank rendezvous thank you so much uh, my man with the with the french pronunciation um and like you're right it's it's very catchy it's also like it is directly in line with what the rest of the movie seems to be doing uh both with you know visually and like i want to talk at some point about how it feels like they're it's a, it's a head ass take but like clearly this was like a very short plot thin story that was stretched to like two nearly feature length and it feels like intentional to me uh and i like i've got i've got thoughts about that but too many hands are up for me to go into that right now um yeah love to reference the hands 
Uh, yeah, no, I mean, you said what I said, or you said what I was thinking about, like, very particularly the fact that, like, the improvised sort of, like, multi, multi, uh, genre, multi-instrumental nature of the song is reflected by the animation itself, right? Which keeps clicking in and out of other animations. I think in particular, the, um, the early 1950s Americana Flesher, um, stuff at the beginning is, like, really pointed in contrast with the grotesque stuff that we get later, uh, it's like it's not accidental that that is like that is the old world that is like the old Belleville. Uh, that's when everybody was like on top of the world. We see that come into conflict and tension with the new world, right? Like now the the triplets are old, the granny is old. There's sort of a sense that the world is fallen. Like Belleville itself is sort of this fallen empire that's that's like like in in the throes of excess. Um, it's a wine company in Vino Veritas that, um, that is, uh, in charge of, or that kidnaps the champion. Um, and that conflict sort of like new versus old, like, like what is the place for old people, old world, old ideas in this new world? Like, is there still something to learn? Is there still something that those things can accomplish is like very much what this film is thinking about. Like at the end, he says like, this was for his parents. Right. So like that, that informs a lot of the reading here as well. Is that this idea that like in this sort of like postmodern remix culture, uh, recycling, era uh like what what use can we find in these these older things or like these older ideas and it seems like this uh movie has a lot to say about that even if it's the way that that it recycles and reuses those things those ideas is um is not as straightforward as saying something like the old ways are the best ways. It's saying much more about like, there's something you can take from this. Like there, there are new modes of understanding that can be built out of these things. Um, and that's the way in which everything is still useful or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, thinking about time, um, I can't remember who brought up time or the idea of time. It, Chaumet himself, when discussing um, the animation of triplets or uh, just like the design process of the characters, he had described it um, as he is doodling and sort of showing how he animates on paper. Um, he describes it as 3D and 4D. So um, 3D as in a 2D character that is hand-drawn is interacting with the space as if it is 3D. And then 40, which he says is time. And he sort of fans the paper. If you're familiar with how 2D animation is done, you know, you have, you can flip through your pencil drawings and sort of approximate this is the motion and so on. And time is really uh, present in this film. Uh, what time does to certain characters. Champion and Bruno are perfect examples of that, how they transform as they grow older. Um, time, as it uh, affects the triplets, they go from this literally a different animation style or um, design style to the present. And when um, I believe uh, Sousa is looking around their flat and looking at all of their different uh, achievements that they've achieved through the years. And there's certainly some Easter eggs too. There's like Gertie the dinosaur and um, various celebrities on the wall, like time and what it does to people or how it affects us um, 
physically and also like where we are in our lives uh, is really present um, from a design standpoint in this film. I love that because it, when I was thinking about uh, like what, how this movie made me feel by what it was, by how it looked, I guess there are moments where I like nothing untoward is happening. It's just like one of the cyclists is really burned out and he's heaving. Like he's, he's, he just cannot get enough air. And I don't know why, but like, it's, it's just fucking gross. Like it, it's really grotesque to like, to, to see, like to be insinuated that this person is like beyond his limit where it wouldn't look even like that in real life. It would be like, you know, obviously a, this is an exaggerated version. And I thought about how other styles might, um, might interpret that. And it's like, maybe we'd go a little bit more stylized. Maybe the chest would pull a little more and the mouth wouldn't be, but they decided, no, the thing that you need to remember from this character's motion from this character's like presence is the fact that he looks like a horse, like a horse that's about to be put down. Uh, And I mean, you're thinking of the same guy I'm thinking of because, uh, and like just the fact that it does like try for that. It's hard to even call it expressive at times because it's not like, it's not interpreting uh, you know, a feeling or, or, or like an emotion that they're trying to communicate. It is like showing you just all the gross, weird, like he's, he's out of his mind. His eyes are pointing in two different directions. His teeth are largely or biggest piano keys. Um, so it's just like a, a, a grotesque exaggeration, uh, of that, of that, of that moment. Um, and I guess because that style, excuse me, adopts more often that descriptive. And I'm using this completely wantonly, the descriptive versus expressive thing, even though they're probably both in conversation with each other in this movie. It's just the way that I, a non-artist left the movie. Like it is, it's like a weirdly realistic movement of incredibly stylized forms. Like if you just look at even the screenshots that the trial line put up for this screening, a lot of them are like just profiles of characters, the champion with his gigantic nose and uh, you know, the main characters in the, or sorry, the, the triplets in their very Fleischer style. Um, I, I just can't stop thinking about like where and why those decisions were made. Uh, and it sounds like Shomei had his very specific rules about, or not rules, but like an end to which he wanted to, he wanted me to be able to sort of interpret many this what i'm seeing on many different dimensions trying to understand like not just that i'm seeing the thing but sort of the feeling behind it the the way that time has impacted uh you know this space in this place and these people and it sounds like based on what i know about animation uh that's not a consideration that everybody makes in that in this form is like that this needs to feel a certain way in addition to like eliciting a certain reaction i, I don't know if that makes any sense at all so I really like that idea. Like we should talk about the ways in which descriptiveness and expressiveness in this movie are in conversation because like that is the technique of, of grotesquerie that this movie applies so well, right? Is that like it takes a very particular element of a feeling or of a mood or emotion or physical effect and it ratches it up to like really, really um, overexpressed or sort of like over-exaggerated form. Like I think that the the guys huffing like their horses is a perfect example, right? Or just like the way that Champion's body, in order to show what he cares about or show the singularity of his life, his body is literally transformed, right? So that he's almost all legs and all nose. Um, and uh, like, but the interesting thing about that is that it like it gets so descriptive that it's almost not expressive, like you said. Um, Jason, in that, like, you are almost so overwhelmed by what they chose to focus on, right? Like the big noses or the, um, 
the frogs or whatever that you that you fail to see what it's expressing, but that referent is still there. So it's still it still goes back to expressiveness, right? And like uh, Souza and Champion are both such, and Bruno, they're, they're such incredibly expressive characters that we come to empathize with so well because of how expressive they are. But those exaggerations are still there that it actually gets you to, and this is what I meant about opening you up, it sort of gets you to like reevaluate what that expressiveness is, right? It's like that is a really interesting way to think about physical exhaustion or like that is a really interesting way to think about like in my opinion like Sousa the most affecting one for me was like her just constant worry right like the way that they express that through the little grotesque movements of her body um or or champion and the the sort of like focus that he has and what that focus means for his neuroses and everything um like the the fact that 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 expressiveness is so exaggerated and so grotesque it gets you to think about who those people are in these really exaggerated hyper stylized ways that really help you understand the emotions at play here right like i think that in particular like the first scene where Suze's taking care of the young champion and trying to sort of get through to him, that felt like so emotional to me. Um, and it was all communicated through the like the size of the expressions as they were being related by the, the grotesquerie of the movements. Um, and a really funny thing that you said that I, that I wanted to focus on a little bit too, is that like, it does, it is kind of disquieting, right? Like, I think that like the, the animation gets so grotesque and particularly the ways in which it is grotesque that are not how traditional animation or not traditional animation, but the animation we're accustomed to, would do that it like it creates this tension between what you expect and what you're seeing that is itself part and parcel to what i think this movie is doing right like i think uh for instance like charlie had like a viscerally negative reaction to this movie she was like it grossed me out i thought it was like kind of hateful i Mm -hmm. i didn't like the caricatures um and i like i tried to tell her like that's not what they're doing they're not trying to be hateful but like I think that the like the discomfort that you're referring to is valid and legitimate because like that was like when I was a kid that was the thing that animation did to me often right where like I I think that like scary animation had such a greater impact on me than even something like horror movies and it's just because of like the size of the expression made me feel along with it more than even a more logical thing would Hmm. right like even like freddy killing somebody wasn't as scary to me as like the pink elephants in dumbo because like the the expressiveness of the pink Hmm. elephants were so it hits your emotions in that way that something more logical and more grounded doesn't and i really like that about this movie Aaron is filing away the pink elephants thing for yeah. completely. That's a scary sequence, man. Mm-hmm. Come on, things to blackmail Harry with when he's running for <laughs> office. Things to get Harry for his birthday. Um, yeah, yeah I, I promise. I promise this is on topic. This isn't just me bringing up athletes for the sake of bringing up athletes. But the the talk about the like the the wheezing cyclist. Something kind of clicked for me in the I, I guess towards the middle of of this movie is. Like we're watching, I mean, uh, again, the exaggerated sort of physical characterizations, particularly in this case of the um, the cyclists. And like it is, it feels important that these are all just like the main kind of players here are all just people. They're not necessarily like the best at the, the things that they do. Um, there is a certain embodiment of like, these are, these are people who are special in very like obvious great ways, but like, they're all like trying to get by and you know, the, the 
triplets no longer, you know, kind of walk with the prestige that they once had as performers. Um, Champion is like a, a good cyclist, but he's not the best cyclist. That's like, oh, like pointedly, the reason that he and the others were able to get kidnapped is because they were trailing away from the rest of the pack towards the the, mm-hmm. the back. Yeah, again, things that stand out to me as as an athlete. Um, just uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, champion's all, not so champion is what you're saying right i think right, he's not like right? i think that's also part of the point right like i think he's yes. the Was champion he? because he used to be the best like i think that that's why mm. he's called champion and i think he might be like sort of like on the decline in this movie maybe hmm. sure i okay if that yeah. if that is the that, case I, can we fair, yeah. I don't, yeah i don't yeah. see I, that. a valid interpretation yeah I, all, all I, that is to say oh sorry jason go ahead no you all that is to say all that is to say, this would be a completely different story if it was actually about like you know, right now when we're wa- like within yeah. the scope of this movie, if we were watching a movie about like the champion of the of mm. the Tour de France instead of our champion, who's right. again still still like great, and like that gets into you know, it brings us to spaces like the flat of the triplets and all these different like exaggerated um, textures and yeah. Like is, is sensory heavy, heavy environments like that is where this movie sings and we would not get like it. So I don't know. I like the pointedness of like we're sort of, you know, various, you know, people. They have either fallen from grace or haven't quite gotten there, depending on how you want to look at the trajectories. But I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I like how how conscious that all was. Yeah, it, it would have been a totally different story if the winner had been the one who was kidnapped. Yes. You know, like things things would have just gone down different. A, you know, a not, Disney not to... movie would star the winner. The, he he would end up he would they would get on a plane or something and end up the final chase scene would be in the Tour de France and he would end up winning it. Uh, in the final chase scene, and then everybody would be, and it is nominated happy. for three Oscars. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I can't decide whether I'm agreeing with or disagreeing with Harry uh, about some of his points about kind of the uh, grotesquerie and just kind of the, the the nature of like the the physical in this film. Because I I do ve- view it very much as like every everything physical is like exaggerated to an absurd and like comical grotesque degree. Uh, but I think that, that everything emotional is for the most part suppressed with the exception of that beginning scene that maybe just exists to kind of set up the plot, right? Where she's standing outside of the door and she's kind of sobbing a little bit as he, you know, doesn't like playing, you know, the, the shot where he's very sad, she gets in the dog and then he's sitting there with his dog and they're both sad. That's great. Right. But, uh, apart from that, there, there is very little, of emotional expression that you would expect from it's a film like this. It's all physical expression. It's, but I, it's, it is physical expression, but it is not a physical, I mean, the, the, you know, the, she, she gets her son back uh, at the end of the film and I don't think she even like hugs him. Right. She, she arrives penniless in this kind of weirdo version of America and at no point is she like crying in the alleyway. Right. She, she has this very kind of blank acknowledging expression um, and, and that's kind of it, right? There's, there's no scene where she sobs to herself trying to, trying to sleep. Right. Um, and most characters have that too. Even the, you know, champion as he's biking, he kind of has this kind of blank, just kind of acknowledging expression as he, he bikes towards this, you know, video projection screen. Um, there, there is a lack of like physical character expression, that is emotional, but, but, but yes, there, it is kind of filled in with this physical expression that is, is not emotional, but it is more representative of the, the characters themselves, right? These, I mean, the, the best example is just the mobsters who are so blocky. Uh, that is the first time they turned and they walked as one. 
Mwah! Loved it. Best moment in the film. A plus. Yeah, and what I'll add is Shomei has said that he's interested in little gestures. So um, acting and emotion conveyed through tiny little moments of animated acting. So with Souza, there's a moment where I think it's when she first sees Champion in that sort of mob den and her expression, it's very small and very subtle, but it is of someone who is distressed. And you can almost imagine her saying or thinking like, what have they done to you? And throughout the film, it's all about the little gestures. Like the waiter is a perfect example where, you know, he, the champagne is popped and he just goes, he just turns slightly. It's <laughs> yeah. all about these tiny little things. And the, the thing that might make this film a little disturbing is it utilizes the classic Disney principles of animation, but in ways that we maybe aren't used to. So exaggeration is a principle of animation. And when I think of exaggeration, I'm thinking of like someone throwing a baseball and their arm is just completely stretched. And, you know, then you've got the anticipation and you throw the ball in this film. The exaggerate, the exaggeration is in the character design. It isn't in the acting and um, you know, you can look no further than like the citizens of Belleville. Like that's, where the exaggeration is um, being conveyed. It's all in aesthetic and design and the acting Mm -hmm. is very subtle and minor. Um, It's also very, what I, the way I usually describe triplets of Belleville is it's very rigid and not in a stiff way. It's still very luscious, lusciously animated, but it's rigid in that the characters feel like 3d objects in 3d space when bruno is pawing at his dish and the lip like his um nails catching on the lip that dog would never exist in real life as it's drawn (laughs) but it feels like a real dog and so we're seeing these characters that don't look like human beings interact with a world as if they are they exist it as 3d living breathing people and there's an uncanniness to that that i think is purposeful wow yeah that's that's brilliant because like also the the whole thing about um the sort of exaggeration of people is that usually in especially in disney animation it is like fundamentally for conservative norms of morality right it's like the the types of exaggeration that happen in disney movies are like jasmine's the hottest person you've ever seen and and aladdin is like is super good looking and super great and but like ursula and jafar they are the exaggerated crazy because they're the villains right and so like here instead of that instead of like hyper exaggerating the positive for our protagonists and hyper exaggerating negative for the antagonists we hyper exaggerate the physical and human about every character and so that that creates a very different form of storytelling where all of a sudden the the very human and the and by human i mean the sort of dysfunctional 
and grotesque and sort of gross and bodily. All of those things are exaggerated instead of the moral stakes or instead of the sort of like heroic forms of exaggeration. Um, I think that's that's really important to what the this whole story is sort of ethos about people and about aging. Um, and I really love what Aaron, you had said as well, and the little gestures thing, because like, you are right that like, I didn't mean to suggest that like, the physical becomes emotional. I think that like, the reason why these characters are depicted that way is to depict that specific form of emotional suppression, right? And like, yeah. it's, it's very affecting for me, particularly in the form of Sousa, because it feels so resonant to what older generations are actually like, right? Like, you know that Sousa's love language in this movie is acts of service. She can't express herself. She can't say, I love you, champion. You mean so much to me. The very first scene of this movie is basically about how she can't do that. So she's finding other ways to do that. And ultimately, the way that she finds to do that is to support champion's dream to the hilt. But she'll do anything and she has like literally herculean strength when it comes to that right like she's the one who's blowing the whistle like up down up down she's the one who can like catch the dog she's the one who will go who will go on a uh, like a pedal uh boat across the Atlantic Ocean to America to save him. All of these things are like, they are the sort of heroic exaggeration from Disney films that I was referring to, but they're given to this person who can't express herself any other way. And like, that becomes a commentary to me about how the older generation who express themselves in different ways than maybe the younger one do uh, express themselves. And it kind of becomes this very touching sort of like, tribute to his parents right like literally this movie says it's it's a tribute to his parents so it like it's easy to read Shomei as saying like I understand the ways in which you love me and the ways in which you love the world I'm depicting them back to you through my understanding of the world right like animation is how I express myself and how I express my love and appreciation I'm going to express the way that you expressed that love and appreciation through my medium in order to communicate it back to you. Um, and I find that very moving. Um, and I think that like this form is a really great way to make something like that happen. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It is the kind of the, despite the grotesque nature of the film, it is also kind of the animation of the subtle in like a very weird way. And that a lot of animation is like, purely represent not purely but like largely representing emotions as these kind of like very i mean i'm typically i'm thinking here of, of anime which is you know uh, a shy guy gets talked to by an attractive girl and you get the gi giant bead of sweat the biggest the zoom in gets, on the bead and it of gets sweat. a five stars and a like on letterboxd every single fucking time <laughs> not not for me but but maybe you know i'll give it four maybe um but yeah it is it is weird to see an animated film that is so in other ways like hitting you over the head with it but also kind of uh, maybe even vaguely Midwestern in its uh, uh, approach to uh, interiority and whatnot. It's it's nice. I like that there's, there are probably several examples, but this example that comes to mind when I think of like an inversion of that concept or like a counterpoint to that concept is the Mater D that Sarah brought up earlier because he is literally externalized, just flamboyant as all can be. He's like flailing his arms around. When he tips his head, his hair always has like another eight or 10 frames of animation just to whip around. I fucking loved that so much. This is kind of like half just one of the things I loved about the movie and half feeding into, I think what, what we were just talking about. Um, but that character specifically is like, 
he has so many like stupid many points of articulation and so much expressiveness throughout every inch of his body where it's like the complete antithesis of uh madam oh geez i'm forgetting the main character's name um but madam souza um where he literally is nothing but externalized like joy and frustration and 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 pleasing you know he he exists only to please the client kind of thing uh and like 15 years down the road if i don't see this movie again the only thing i will remember about him is the fact that his hair flips around like like loose like i don't know like wet dog hair or something it's the craziest choice for animation that just sticks with me uh from that character yeah the the eyes um watching this like however many thousands of millions of times like every time i'm always just delighted by what they do with Madame Souza's eyes and the Mater D as well. When he opens a giant ass eyeball and you hear <laughs> that, it's kind of like a weird squishy sound effect too. And it just sort of barely scoots over and is darting around. Yeah. Like those are like the tiny little gestures and moments that really like juice a character for me. And and like he's a perfect example, right? Because it's like those aren't real emotions. He's performing like that is his role. Like he has to be that exuberant and that sort of like client facing where he like when there's a mistake that's made, he gets down on his hands and knees and is weeping and prostrating in front of the mobster. Um, but it, but it is like it's perfectly like we understand exactly what they're saying about that character via this it's like oh this is like the the ultimate sort of kiss ass um like suck up mater d type character and all of that is communicated through like two things right like one the fact that he's so that he does the flopping thing and the big smile but also like i love the eyes because the eyes are also like no this is like he's like on it like he's doing his job he's like he's like paranoid almost about pulling everything off and so like that smile that affect is a front really like this character who he really is is the eyeball right that's like darting around and and looking for making sure everything goes right um and i yeah it's so good and i really love the way that um everything is suggested via the the physical uh in this movie yeah I knew this movie was going to be special when I was getting a tattoo touched up just before the screening and somebody asked me, one of the artists asked me, uh, you know, what's, what are you doing this, this weekend just to make time? And I said, well, I'm going to a movie tonight at the Trilon, talked a little bit about it. And I'm like, it's called the triplets of Belleville. I had never heard of this film, obviously. And they were like, oh yeah, no, that's the one from 03, the French one with the, uh, the bicyclist who gets captured. And I was like, how do like a statistically significant number of tattoo artists in the same room all know this movie? Get them uh, on the pod. I should. I should. Oh, hey. yeah, it's, <laughs> As uh, an aside, I've always been super impressed by like every single tattoo artist I've ever worked with has been like kind of an anime nerd. Like even if they're like a, like a badass biker person who's like covered in tattoos, the last person <laughs> you would think they're like, oh, yeah, like they recognize all my like weeby anime tattoos immediately. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's because like they're interested in animation and in like. Right. And it, it's so cool it to sense. see that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a total side note, but uh, hey, it's the great unifier animation. Um, were there any other final thoughts, little tiny things, little junk drawer moments that we should uh, pull out before we head to the final segment of our show? Sarah, was there anything else? Any other, I guess, as as a person who's worked in animation, uh, I want to know what are the moments that, like those, the Mater D moments, like, uh, you know, the Madam's Eyes, what sticks out to you as far as just little tiny moments that maybe you don't even need connection to the rest of the movie? Yeah, so... 
When you work in animation, um, unfortunately, just watching animation, and I'll make it very clear that I'm not an animator proper. There certainly mm -hmm. is overlap with storyboard art nowadays, but um, I'm not an animator, so I'm not an expert on, say, frame rate and timing, though I can probably spot those things sometimes. So sure. going into an animated movie, I'm more or less like going to notice and gravitate towards the technical things these days. Um, but I will say it holds up technically. Um, Triplets of Belleville, I believe, was at least colored digitally. There's some, um, there's a digital element to Triplets of Belleville. It was still animated, I believe, on paper, probably transferred to some sort of software and then colored and composited digitally. But um, there is a CG element as well. And talking about 101 Dalmatians, at the end of 101 Dalmatians, and probably throughout, it's been a while since I've revisited uh, the film, the cars are most certainly rotoscoped. Um, there's a moment where Cruella DeVille's car like crashes into like a snowbank, and the snow is also rotoscoped or has some sort of um, processing on it. And understandably, because drawing cars is the worst, it's probably even when I'm working, if I have to draw even a parked car or a parked motorcycle or a bike, it is the worst. Really? And um, I can understand that in Triplets of Belleville, if you're seeing a vehicle on screen, it is CG and it is textured to look like a 2D drawing. And similarly with the cyclists, if you're seeing a cyclist biking, full body, the cyclist, and the bike is CG textured to look like a drawing. And seeing it in 35 millimeter, um, it was a lot more clear what was CG and what was uh, drawn by hand. But it all worked <laughs> for me. It all mm -hmm. weirdly worked. And I think it's because I appreciate that all the work that has gone into every single character, um, whether it's a main character or a secondary character in the background, that amazing a scout that's trying to help her and Bruno across the street and is getting whacked in the face. Like all of that takes so much time and so much labor and um, seeing them try to figure out how can we focus on all the good stuff without wasting all of our time on bikes drawing bikes, <laughs> you know, um, was, it made me appreciate it weirdly even more. And it gives mm -hmm. it another connection to 101 Dalmatians because even then they were trying to figure out how can we not draw cars? <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm really glad you said that. Like, that's a big part of why the, um, sort of like parental communicative element of this movie means so much to me is because like whenever whenever I watch something that is animated this way now that I've like researched a little bit more and obviously I don't know nearly as much as you do but about um, animation itself I'm always approaching it first and foremost from like okay like this was a truly insane amount of work for everyone involved like a maybe like disastrous unhealthy amount of work especially the way the animation industry works right and so I'm like what was worth it about this project to these people, right? Like what did they want to what did they want to depict? What did they want to say that they were that they felt in their hearts was like, I'm I'm gonna draw this person's face a hundred thousand times so that I can 
I can like find these minute details and changes within it. And like, that's like, that's a big part of why Totoro means so much to me, right? Is because of like, it must've meant that much to them that they wanted to depict these things. And this movie is similar, right? It's like, you can really tell even, and especially because of the CGI and uh, 2D elements, like what he was trying to say and what was important to him about depicting in this movie. And it's so beautiful what those things are, right? Because ultimately it's like, it's, it's, Bruno the dog and like making sure that the dog is just right and like uh we watched with Kelly who's a huge dog person and she was like that was my favorite part because like there was so much in Bruno that I saw from my dog like it Mm -hmm. was so resonant of that and like Susan Champion's relationship right like my favorite thing is just like the lengths that she goes to to help Champion with all of this right like the all of the tools she has to massage his muscles and all of the setup that they have and and the uh whistle blowing up and down and up and down and it's like every time like like these long sequences of just her helping champion uh maintain his weight and massage his muscles it's like i that's harder than anything i've ever done in my life right like that's that's more work than is like feasible in my imagination um and it's like why did they care so much and it's like well it becomes because it's like it's this tribute to like parenthood and to non-traditional forms of emotive expression and expressions of love. Um, and that is like, that's so touching. Um, and also just like the, the whole CG versus 2d thing. I noticed that too. This is like the Jurassic park of that. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it, it like, I've seen so many examples of animation that tries to sort of like merge the, 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 digital and the animated that like really doesn't work and really feels sort of uncanny. And it's, it's like, and this is such an early example, like Jurassic park that just nails it. And it's like, man, like you can kind of see why they wanted, like why people would want to have done that, but like nobody did it this well (laughs) after that. Um, And it's, it's kind of funny to see that and, and awesome. Awesome. Indeed. These are two um, hopefully pretty quick, uh, dumb silly things but on the note of like especially um kind of what you two um sarah and harry talking about like the getting me thinking about the labor behind animation and thinking about the things that they really wanted to to put in this you know 80 minute movie it makes me all the more appreciative of moments that are like um the the transition of that pot of boiled tadpoles and we're just like fading into like they become the moon for all like for all i could tell it was just to show it's like yep still nighttime <laughs> and then they go right back into yeah, they, the apartment it's an establishing shot for the apartment they just left it is a very yeah. funny transition or, or oh, when, the, that, when the mobster's yeah. face turns into the cheeseburger that was like oh <laughs> man that is so good yeah it's just, i'm glad that they gave you know things that people you know that they didn't need to give a shit about i'm so glad that they did because i'm gonna remember those images so much um and then uh, the only other uh, quick like junk joe-esque thing i was racking my brain uh, about this have we jason have we had many other like french films that we've talked about uh on the pod lately can you think of one is uh, there one we did have one with special guest finn odom i actually removed that sound effect um I damn it okay I you know, can cut this out but, then. But, uh, no, no no i did because i did i made a new sound i've been trying to find a good place to use it but Sacre bleu. <laughs> we, we we can find a place to use that one later on uh but thank you for giving me a platform for it yeah you're welcome i i will concede the floor now thank you yeah, and one quick, tiny little thing. Um, so my favorite thing about animation, just generally, regardless of where it comes from, is um, like 
seeing the relationship between the artist or the animator and the medium. And Triplets of Belleville, you know, has that sort of scratchiness or gesture drawing quality to the line work. Um, it doesn't look too clean or too sterile. It looks like it was hand drawn, even though um, it was composited and put together digitally. But I really want to emphasize that there certainly are like films that try to replicate the hand drawn or the practical um, aesthetic of animation or early animation, and they fail, fail, fail. But it can be done if you embrace the tools that you have. So um, a Joanna Keen's or Quinn's um, film, Affairs of the Art, which was a short film that was nominated for an Academy Award last year, or was it this year? I don't know what, what is time, but uh, another example of that, hand drawn on paper, scanned in, colored and retouched digitally, looks amazing and you can see that uh, relationship between the artist and the medium clear as day and um, weekends which was a 2017 short film also animated um, i can't remember what the name of the director is but similarly uh, created digitally but looks just amazing. <laughs> and it doesn't try to recapture some sort of past glory of cell animation, you know. A quick shout out to Cuphead, uh, the video game uh, reference on hmm. one video game reference on this pod. I like Cuphead. Uh, can I ask, is, is there, is kind of the short film side of things, is that where you view a lot of kind of the interesting experimental, really quality stuff in animation? Or I guess, what do you, what do you see that kind of excites you kind of, I don't know, day to day? Or not much. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, um, because I work with so many talented board artists, um, frankly, like that's the most exciting thing is I'm watching even on shows that maybe aren't amazing. Um, that's the exciting thing is you see all these amazing artists that are incredible at what they do. And yeah, like that's the thing that excites me day to day. Um, I'm not really up to date on animation these days just because there's, I'm completely like trampled by all the Disney stuff that's being blasted into my face every month. And um, when I like the short stuff, the Affairs of the Art short was randomly um, suggested to me on YouTube, watched it. I had never heard of it before. Um, and I was just like, wow, um, this is really hopeful for me. Um, yeah, that doesn't really answer your question. I I watch yeah, what I can. Sometimes <laughs> I need a break from animation because I'm a little too steeped in it <laughs> on the daily. Uh, I know oh, what yeah. that's like with something that means a lot less to the world than <laughs> podcasting. Uh, mm. When I listen to too many podcasts, when I pay attention to too many podcasts, I they lose all their luster. Uh, Harry? Oh, I was just going to say shout outs also to Yusuf Cole's uh, Cuphead and the Racist Specter of Flesher Art. It's a really good article. True. Have we just, can we cancel Aaron real quick over bringing no, up like we're not thanking cancel Cuphead? Aaron. It is worth <laughs> noting that like the one Flesher scene in this movie is also has like a pretty egregious raci racist part. Yeah. Uh, well, I, it like was maybe a reference to Flesher Art's it inherent is. It's racism. It's a reference to right. yeah, Josephine anyway. Baker, yeah, who is a, yeah. a, a vaudeville star, a French 
actually quite a quite an important uh, maybe the context kind of there are some other uh kind of quick shots of people when they get to Belleville that are maybe a little interesting. Um, it's, it's but tough, right? I, because like the thing about this movie is that it's about caricature, right? And like some of those caricatures have overtly racist or racial overtones, yeah. which can be, which can be like really upsetting <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. I, I think the, the beginning, the beginning reference to Josephine Baker is maybe a little better than that. She, she was, I mean, you know, she was existing in a, uh, I mean, it's, we're, world is still fucked right but she was existing in a even more kind of fucked right, world back right. then she you know was a, a very important kind of she was the first black woman to be in a, a a big movie um she was very popular i mean she did you know one of her costumes that was kind of the most famous was dancing around with you know bananas and a skirt um certainly a uh, very racist image uh in an industry that that kind of capitalized on that but she as a figure was very groundbreaking in a lot of ways yeah, Josephine Baker, I had actually um, maybe brought this up with um, John or some of the other folks with the collective. It's like, do you think um, there's going to be a bit of a reaction to it? Because personally, Josephine Baker, that was her shtick. She um, utilized um, racist tropes regarding uh, Black women and um, like African women and used them in her act. And I think it's also valuable to say like that is a nuanced, you know, um, there is no like moral high ground when you're utilizing um, racist tropes like that. Like it's going to be um, sort of a nuanced, complicated discussion. You know, there, you know, there are parts of it that are um, empowering and amazing and there are parts of it that are like, "Mm, okay, kind of iffy. But um, the Josephine Baker part in Triplets of Belleville for me is probably technically one of the most amazing parts in the movie, just from an animation standpoint, because it is a character turnaround and a walk cycle timed to a beat. Walk cycles suck to animate. (laughs) Um, in like my day to day, there are some times where we have to figure out how can we hide a character's feet so we don't have to time a walk cycle. And when you have a character not just walking forward, they are walking, turning, turning, and then turning again. And everything about it, it's probably one of the most perfect freaking 3D displays of a character I've ever seen. But I certainly acknowledge that moment of just Josephine Baker can be perhaps a little bit upsetting if you're not expecting something like that. And especially Um, if you don't know the context, but yeah, you're right. Like with both the context of Flesher art and the context of Josephine Baker, it is a very different thing uh, than it, it appears to be on the surface. For sure. Well, I think that's time to close up the old junk drawer. Uh, but we have time, hopefully, for one final segment of the show. Uh, Sarah, do you have time to join us for a round of Cody's Noties? Sure. It's a, it's a, <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be. It's usually a game of some kind. Uh, but if you've got, I don't know, another 10 minutes or so. Um, Harry, would you help lead us in? I would love to. And Sarah, you can join us too if you would be so inclined. We sing Cody's Noties to the Sister Sister theme. Uh, so if you're familiar with that, it goes like this. <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties. Yes. Oh, oh my. We're doing so well lately. 
Yeah, lately. Um, yeah, well, hey, we've thank had some you. real stinkers. We've really fucked that up before. This time was not one of those times. This is not. Yeah, I, I listen. I remember those stinkers. Um, but yeah, that this was very, um, very great. Thank you for the in- introduction. It was as yummy as an omelet du fromage. That is the extent of my French. Uh, what so better platform? Uh, that is also that now, now that is the extent of my French, uh, what better platform through which to shout out some French language animated films than through a little something called try love feud. Uh, yep. Put the boxing gloves on, uh, to put it a pretty, you know, a little more explicitly today's theme will be the most, or today's list, you know, we've got it up on the big board. It's going to be the most popular movies on letterboxd, um, because that is the best metric we have for anything um that are number one animated and number two contain some semblance of dialogue in the french language so they may not be quote unquote you know french films um because the letterbox filters are a little flimsy in that way they're just going to pick up on is dialogue spoken in french at some point um so just have that in the back of your heads as i conclude this or not conclude to start this very long on ramp just to make sure uh people understand what we're doing and I, i should say I will, I will take the time now um, to note that Trivia Mafia rules are in effect for the rest of this segment. Looking at you, Aaron, and by that I mean use your noodles and not your Googles or your letterboxes. What? <laughs> what does that mean? And the answers you seek. I don't know. You haven't been on in a while. I just wanted to make sure you, you remembered the rules. All right. Yeah. Yeah. See, tough but fair. Uh, so for those listening at home or for those listening here on the call who are unaware, this will be an experience only somewhat adapted uh, from the famous game show Family Feud. What I've done is I've collected the top 20 films on Letterboxd ranked by Letterboxd popularity. You know, um, So like number of vlogs and filtered by both genre um, for all intents and purposes. Animation is a genre here uh, and by spoken language, in this case, French. What I will do is ask each of you one at a time for a guess of a movie included in that list. Every guess is going to come with a 10 second window. And to get a point, you'll need to correctly guess a movie that is on that list during your turn within that 10 second window. And there will be, should be noted, there are going to be three strikes per contestant. And if you get three strikes, then you're out for the remainder of the game. It's like an at bat in a baseball game sports. If you make an incorrect guess, uh, so, you know, you guess a movie that's not on that list, you get, uh, you'll get a strike. If you have a correct movie, but state an incomplete title of the movie, um, you'll get a strike. This is to avoid guesses of like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or Scott Pilgrim, um, as it's come up on the show a weird number of times. Um, that'll get you a strike. If you fail to guess a movie before the 10 second window is up, I will announce that time is up and you'll get a strike. All that is to say, just, you know, guess a movie, even if you think it might be wrong. The randomly generated order for this game will be Harry, Sarah, Jason, Aaron. That's the order. And then we'll go, we'll go in a loop. Whenever it's the next person's turn, I will say that person is on the clock. uh, And that's when I will start silently counting down. If music were to be piped in, again, this is a very stressful uh, environment. Um, Our super producer is also a contestant. Um, If anything else was going to get piped in, that would be cool. Otherwise, you know, I've got, I've got a mental clock. We'll be just fine. Um, One last thing. Um, I know this is a lot. The film we discussed today is number 21 on this list. So in essence, we will be seeking out all of the films that are slotted ahead of it. Um, And I know that I know the concept of animated films with spoken French language dialogue is intimidating. Maybe not the forte of a lot of the people here. um, But the best hint that I can give is that I wouldn't move forward with this if I didn't think y'all could get at least a handful of correct guesses. The winner will be the person with the most correctly guessed movies. I'm going to stop talking. Have I covered everything? Are there any questions that anybody has before we hop in? So just to be clear, 
animated yeah. movies compiled from Letterboxd with French spoken in the film. Yes, and I, I guess I should, uh, to put an even finer point on it, yes. Letterbox filters, two filters are in play here. One, uh, animation that may or may not refer to an animated film, but if there is like a heavy dose of animation, you know, something that would tick that flag and, and get at that filter. And then, yes, spoken French dialogue at some point. It could, for all I know, literally be one word or one sentence. Cool. I see a lot of pensive faces. I'm going to uh, assume that we're that we're good to go. There, there's a lot. The stakes have never been higher. I Not to freak everybody out. But, um, you know, we've got... We've got uh, a lot of, I was going to say a lot of great movies. We've got some movies on this list. And the first up in the queue is one Harry Mackin. Without further ado, ha- ado uh, I, oh, that is the extent of my French. Harry, you are on the clock. This has to be the least surprising answer of all time for, for you, Cody. Uh, I have one good answer, so I'm so glad I went first. It's Ratatouille. That was, you know, uh, the only one I got. <laughs> Um, I've got a Shatapui on the list, um, but I, I'm looking at the judges table there. They say, give it to you. So yes. Um, that point for, for Ratatouille, AKA Shatapui. Um, that is the number one entry on the list. Um, so it's all down. You're from so here. mean to Ratatouille. That movie fucking it's rocks, a, dude. Shut up. It's a fun bit. I'm not getting high strung about it. Some people might be, um, but we are moving on. So no strikes for Harry for that correct guess. We're moving along to Sarah. Sarah, you are now on the clock. All right. Um, Planet Savage, the Fantastic Planet, also tattooed on my Ooh, arm. Ooh, sick. Bang. Great ink and a great guess. That is number nine on the list. Shoutouts to Fantastic Planet. So... We're we're at a at a good pace here. No strikes obtained yet. Two correct guesses. We're moving along to Jason. Jason, you are now on the clock. I'm not going to bother playing music. Uh, I'm going to go Belladonna of Sadness. Belladonna of Sadness is the guess, and it turns out Jason is the Belladonna of Sadness uh, because he didn't get a point. So I imagine there is much sadness to, Did you to think be the handled. name Belladonna. Sounds French. <laughs> I mean, <it's>... Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how you would say that with a French accent. Oh, Belladonna. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's it. Yes, Sacre Blue. That's yeah. You can. You didn't even need, need to play the clip. Yeah, or you could play it, and it sounds a lot better than what I just said. Um, so that is one strike for Jason. Uh, we're now going to move along to our, our last contestant. We need to get a guess in, and that is Aaron. Aaron, you are now on the clock. Um, I am going to go with uh, The Illusionist. The Illusionist is the guest. Um, now, just to confirm, Aaron, is that the the animated film? The animated or the film. GMA? I'm talking about the animated film. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> neither of them are on the list. I just wanted to, to okay. make that joke. Ha, ha, um, ha. It's, okay. It's yeah. Slade. Um, yeah, no, the Paul Giamatti, Edward Norton uh, film, The Illusionist, is actually number two on the list. Number two. Can you believe it? No, it's Whoa. not. Um, uh, I should watch that movie. Uh, but hey, that is a strike. Uh, a very fun guess from Aaron. Not one that got him a point. So we've got uh, half of our contestants without strikes. Uh, one of those contestants is Harry. We're back up to, to his place in the queue. Harry, you are on the clock. 
All right, I'm really scraping the barrel now already, but um, I'm going to go with Aladdin because I feel like Robin Williams did so many impressions, he probably said some French at some point <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> uh, Aladdin is the guess, um, a valiant guess, but Aladdin did not make the cut. Um, a lot of fun, probably racially insensitive impressions from Robin Williams in that movie, but none that... Uh, that it's that, also that, how I learned my Jack Nicholson. Okay, Sparky, here's the deal. <laughs> I think we've talked about that, right? The the key to doing a Jack Nicholson impression is to do an impression of Robin Williams doing a Jack Nicholson impression. Jack, right? Um we'll we'll host a clinic on that. Um it, look for that on the on the Patreon soon. There is no Patreon in case there's any confusion. We're moving along to Sarah. Uh Sarah for your second guess. You are now on the clock. Okay. Um was Chico and Rita in French? Ooh, I love that guess, but it did not make the cut. And I don't know if it was in the French language or if it had the some some French, you know, speakings. Um, okay, good. And we've got Harry back. Uh, I will pause. Cut out again. Sure. Sorry. You're, you're good? Okay. I hope, yep, I hope that doesn't present issues. <laughs> uh, it hasn't in the past, right? Yeah, we've been be fine. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We pull it out right. of our ass. Yeah, we always do. Um, I I have no idea if any of that will be cut or not, but I will start cleanly. All right, so that is now a strike for everybody. Uh, everybody's got one strike across the board. Um, Harry and Sarah are currently in a commanding lead with one point apiece. We now move to Jason for his second guess. Jason, you are now on the clock. Bro, there was this movie I watched in 2020. It was a French, it's perfect French animated movie about a dog who keeps getting reincarnated and tossed between people. It won. I know that it won international acclaim, but I don't think it was Oscar nominated. I do not fucking remember the name of this movie though. It's like Maria's Do you want to get Life's something journey. though? Because we're coming up like on time. Maria's Life. We're going to say Life of Maria. I don't remember. Life of Maria is the guess. Um, and I, I, I Am I? I'm looking for it. I'm doing a control F. I'm not seeing Life of Maria on the list. I would actually like to know what that movie's called. Um, I hope it's Life of Maria and that it is in French and that Jason was was close to a, to a correct guess. I was but... clo- I was closer that time than I was for Belladonna of Sadness. I will tell you that. All right, I'll give you that. And hey, for those listening, if anything else that gives you a fun thing to add to your letterbox watch list, so you know you listen, you you get a little something out of it. That's the try love way bum 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 aaron it is your turn in the queue you've got your second guess coming up i hope you're ready for it because you are on the clock uh i gotta imagine that the candle or some shit speaks french and beauty and the beast so i'm gonna go beauty and the beast do you mean lumiere the candle or some shit what is wrong with you i, I, I didn't grow up watching those movies here. i grew up watching monty python Studio Ghibli, that's it. Those are the two. That's unfortunate, you know? This is why you're like this, huh? Made a freakish human being, but yes. This bickering banter is a tale as old as time and a song as old as rhyme. Um, and Aaron gets a point from that guess. Because oh, Beauty and the are Beast. you kidding me? Beauty and oh, the Beast was is number three. A, are you kidding me? Yeah. That's such a good guess. That was brilliant. I'm sorry. Thank I you. Hate, really, I really good guess. Aaron, but yeah, like that's, that was, <sighs> yep. yeah. Alrighty. So just, you know, we'll pause, catch our breath here. Let's take stock uh, of the lay of the land. I just ham-fistedly put two expressions next to each other, but everybody's got one strike at the very least. Um, Jason's at two strikes. Uh, Harry, uh, Harry, Sarah, and Jason, Harry, Sarah, and Aaron 
sorry, there's so many contestants in my spreadsheet can only be so big. Um, but we've got uh, one point apiece for those three. Uh, Jason has yet to get on the board. It's still very much anybody's game. I got to not go. I'm trying to make that more fun and very the pitch of my voice. Um, but I'm not a voice actor. I'm just on a podcast doing this silly game and I'm introing the next guest, which will come from Harry. Uh, Harry, you are now on the clock. Shrek. Shrek is the guest. Suckly blue donkey. I see. I can't do it. Um, it's not on the list. Uh, Shrek is a, a swing and a miss. Um, not a bad guess. Uh, but yeah, they did not touch French somehow in that DreamWorks animated classic. Um, so that is two strikes for Harry. We go over to Sarah, who is at one point and one strike. Sarah, you are now on the clock. Uh, Gandahar. Gandahar is the guess, um, and that unfortunately did not make the cut. Um, yeah, it's I, apologies. You're um, coming up on that, the uh, letterboxed selection bias thing, where it's no, like, yeah, oh. that's that's exactly right, right? It's yeah. that Sarah's knowledge of animation is actually a strategic disadvantage here because we have to at like come up with the the basic bullshit letterbox dude animated movies and you know they haven't seen that one there's a good chance that harry could have just put two at the end of shrek and gotten it a minute ago i thought about it so much i was yes. like is it shrek two? It's gotta be one of these uh hey we'll we'll see what happens our our patented letterbox dude bro representation up next with jason daphnis uh sitting at two strikes right i had no other way to segue to you sorry jason um but you're wearing a beanie which is uh, like not dude bro but uh, like a, a stepchild of that um we've got we've got your potentially your third and final guest coming up two strikes no points would love to see you get on the board we'll see if that happens stay tuned after this moment when i say jason you are now on the clock it all comes down to this Rugrats in Paris. Oh, oh my god! It all comes down to I, this. It's not on I, the list, is it? It's not on the list, but holy <laughs> shit. Wow, that's such a good James, guess. You're a genius. That's amazing. I'm, I'm going to sleep. Um, you have won points in the hearts and souls of our listener base. Um, so take those, uh, take those four points with you. <laughs> um, those, those metaphorical spiritual baby's points. baby's got to do what a baby's got a poo um and now we uh we bring it on over to aaron who's sitting at one point and one strike aaron you are on the clock i've got two what i think are pretty good answers my first is going to be aristocats not bad oh and another guess that i love but it's not on the list oh! man uh, for all of the uh, man, for all the problems with that movie, I grew up watching that. That and Fox and the Hound a shitload. You want to talk um, about some interesting uh, portrayals of certain characters? I don't. Um, I mean, otherwise, pretty good movie. Yeah, man. Oh god. Um, so Aristocats. Uh, shoutouts to the good parts of Aristocats, and shoutouts to I mean the good parts of this game. Um, there are some highlights to be had for sure. Uh, we've got. Again, taking stock here, Harry, Sarah, and Aaron are still uh, 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 there and fighting. I'm trying to think of more sports metaphors, but I, I've, I've 
for some for some reason I've run out of gas at you know eighty five minutes uh, into this recording, but they've got one point apiece. They've got two guesses apiece. Uh, Jason is, is sitting out of the game, so he's probably doing the thing where he's looking up the list in the background, um, getting you know cheeky about whatever everybody will guess going forward. Um, but we come back around to Harry, who is again two strikes, sitting at uh, tied for the lead at one at one correct guess. Harry, you are now on the clock. Well, and this is disgusting, but I'm sort of the scum of the game in terms of Cody's noties. I always have been. I know it. You all know it. Um, I'm just going to steal Sarah's very good sort of points about 101 Dalmatians and maybe like see if that's on there. 101 Dalmatians is the guess. Um, fair thought considering Aristocats wasn't on the list and 101 Dalmatians is a little bit more popular, but it did not make the cut, regrettably. Gotcha. So that is strike three for Harry. Um, I gotta ask. Wait, wait! Before we reveal it all, uh, also was was how the Grinch stole Christmas on there? Does does uh, Boris Karloff's character or the singer? It's not ever- over, motherfucker! I'm still. What are you talking oh, about? Shit! Well, yeah, we, 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 got two, we got two contestants still left in the game. How, Don't worry. How dare you? There, there will be a reveal, um, and it will be a reveal. You know what? I'm not going to editorialize this. I'm it. sorry, everyone. I cut out for a minute, and I thought we were further along than we were. No, no, no. We've got miles to go before we sleep or many different animated cells individually hand-drawn before we um, have yet to sleep. Potentially. Um, we'll see how these next couple guesses go, but Sarah, we're back over to you, sitting at one point and two strikes. Uh, potentially, you know, a, a game-saving guess uh, in is the ball that is in your court right now. More sports, but Sarah, you are on the clock. All right, all right. Um, okay, uh, okay. I think was I lost my body in French? I lost my body is the guess, and I lost my body is number twelve on this list. Damn. That is a correct guess. Sarah is up to a whopping meteoric two points. Um, still in the game, no third strike obtained, uh, and it all it all it all comes down to this. Uh, Aaron is at one point at two strikes to give himself a fighting chance. He needs to correctly guess a movie. To, to stay in this, uh, yeah. we'll see. We'll see what happens. But Aaron, you are on the clock. Yeah, I got. I got four of the dumbest guesses of all time. I'm going to assume that there is some French-speaking crab or something in Finding Dory. Finding Dory is the guess. Oh, uh, is there one in Finding Nemo, but not Finding there, Dory? No, dude. There's a different talking French crab in another famous animated movie. This is brutal. oh shit. Okay, well, look, it's Finding Dory. So that is strike three for Aaron. No uh, finding door on the list. Uh, you know, we we could. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, I, I don't know if, if Sarah, you want to flex on on the rest of us by guessing more. Or if we do, just want to do the reveal. I'll I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, I'll like basketball dunk Persepolis in here. Oh, oh Persepolis, you say at number ten on the list? Let's fucking oh go. My God. Swish. I knew I knew it was over when she when she turned her hat backwards. It's like instant death. Uh, any others you would like to throw out? No. Can I can I ask real quick? Is the my my number two guess that I know it's like the spaghetti's Italian and all that? Is Lady and the Tramp on here? It is not. Um, oh, I in my, like I. In, I didn't do a full audit of the list. I imagine that falls into similarly like 101 Dalmatians territory. Maybe. Dude, dude. No minions to be found. 100% is though, right? Just the girl, there's a French phrase in that song. Questionable cats doing questionable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
so without I, I know we're all we're yeah, all yeah. yeah. Well, uh, well, actually, I'll, I will say um, I'll, I'll count that that Persepolis yamma jamma. Um, so Sarah exits the game with a lead uh, of three points to one to one to zero. Um, Sarah takes the crown. We maybe uh, uh, could have maybe could have seen that coming, um, but hey, we're we're here in it. Oh God, my Excel document froze. Okay, there we go. Perfect. I am now going to read in a semi rapid fire format. Um, the, list of the top 20 i'm not going to rehash the filters but from 20 to 1 i'm just going to read the names here so we've got number 20 batman the dark knight returns part one that is batman the dark knight returns part one i think that is (laughs) that is that is the most i think out of left field uh, for a list that is coming out of left field a lot that is the most calendar man y'all were never getting that one i didn't anticipate y'all would get number 19 either alvin and the chipmunks the squeakle uh next again letterbox filter logic i i know that was my next sorry about that. uh number eight i know i said these would be fast i'm sorry number 18 the red turtle number 17 alvin and the chipmunks the first one number 16 rise of the guardians that is not the owls of gahul that is the one with fairy tale people uh number 15 my life as a zucchini number 14 oh, flea yeah. a great documentary from last year number 13 anastasia number 12 i lost my body Number 11, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Number 10, Persepolis. Number 9, Fantastic Planet. Number 8, Cars 2. Number 7, The Wind Rises. Uh, We're going to get into kicking ourselves territory, just be forewarned. Uh, So that was number 7, The Wind Rises. Number 6, The Princess and the Frog. Number 5, The Little Mermaid. Number 4, Madagascar. Number 3, Beauty and the Beast. Number 2, Monsieur Incroyable, The Incredibles, and number one, what? what was the French part in The Incredibles? Dude, it's the uh, funniest. Bon voyage. Bon voyage. The, the first... bon voyage blasts through the wall, and and he goes, uh, "Bomb voyage," and and bon voyage goes, "Monsieur Incroyable." Okay, I don't remember that, but uh, iconic. Uh, I will point out that. Rugrats in Paris, the movie, is number thirty. <laughs> so I was a few <laughs> off, but it's Dang. on this fucking list. It is. Yeah. And and that that's it. Sarah wins. Um Sarah, if you want to use this um, you know, the next minute or two to to pop off and, you know, again, uh add some some illustration to that dunk that you just performed on the rest of us, feel free to do so. But that is Try Love Feud. Thank you for playing, everybody. She is she is posing, she's yeah, posturing, I'm, she's I'm making posing. it clear. Yes. <laughs> Picture in she your is. mind. <laughs> She's doing the Oscars. Doing so what, the, like, is it the Golden Resplendent. Globe? Yeah. <laughs> resplendent in victory. Uh, and Resplendent as a guest. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sitting down with us for another movie. Um, where can people find you? Where should they go to on the internet to find you talking about things or doing things, I guess? Um, I am on Letterboxd. Um, I, my Letterboxd name is Calzone Wizard. And, uh, yeah, otherwise you can always just check out cult film collective stuff, uh, cultfilmcollective.com. And yeah, chances are if you are a regular at the Trilon or you go to cult film collective screenings, you'll run into me or, um, the other three cult film collective representatives. So, yeah. All right. Be there, be square uh, and keep an eye on trilon.org for more information about that stuff and cultfilmcollective.com. 
for information about the membership, about the video library, etc. Things uh, coming up in the future that are really cool and exciting uh, for all of us here and hopefully for the wider Minneapolis movie scene. Uh, and thank you very much, listeners, for joining in for another episode of Trilove. You can expect us to continue, I think, with some Nick Cage movies in the next few weeks here. Uh, but thank you for this uh, for joining for this diversion. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. Our podcast is called Trilove. You can find us on Twitter, Trilove Podcast. Find the Trilove at Trilon Cinema. You can find me, little old me, on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I meant to say this earlier, um, but I'm really glad that Jason, for your uh, intro, you did the thing where one of us speaks in another language, like the language that's native to the movie that we're watching. And I have considered that, but then I thought I've done that for so many of these fucking episodes. Um, But I'm glad that it it still got done and we didn't double dip. That's um, very magical. Um, Thank you, Sarah, very much for being here. Um, Go to the Trilon if you're listening. If you're listening, you probably go to the Trilon. Um, get into the <laughs> Cult Film Collective. Go to the website. Become, you know, a member. Uh, I don't know. I've yeah, I've run out of stuff to say. But you can find me on Twitter where I say more things at, uh, at Cody underscore bh. For all of our wait, did I? Oh no, I cut off. Wow, there. he's been. He's sorry. Been you've cut me off a lot, so I had to do it at some. He's point. cut me off too. Yeah, yeah. get his ass. Wow, so Sorry. so like I somebody cuts me off and all of a sudden you guys are like, yeah, but Harry's the fucking one that cuts people off. That's I right. see how it is. Yeah, we should call you. We should call you the Moyle of the podcast. The way you're cutting people off, just do that's your. That's disgusting. Why do you do that, Jason? So I feel yeah, like that's you bring awful. Up, that's terrible. You bring up more than anybody I know. It's a preoccupation of yours. Anyway, um, (laughs) sorry about this ending. Um, Thanks so much for joining, Sarah. That was so much fun. Um, Can't wait to be a member of the Cult Film Collective's um, video library. I'll definitely send you the Evangelion DVDs so that you can have those. Um, And they have the original dubbing. So if anybody is not a fan of the Netflix dubbing, that would be the reason to uh, check these out. and uh, yeah, you can again. I'm my legs are going to get absolutely jacked this summer. And if you want to see those, you can follow me on Twitter at Shitaki Harry. My name's Aaron. Find me on Twitter at RV Please. I think that's probably it. It's over, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs>